Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kristen Goodman. I'm Sarah Goodman, and we're Showbiz, Showbiz siblings. siblings. We live in New York City. We're both queer, and we love musical theater. This is our podcast. Hello! Today we are talking about La Cage à Folle. It is a musical with music and lyrics by Jerry Herman and a book by Harvey Firestein based on the 1973 French play of the same name. The show tells the story of gay couple Georges, uh, the manager of a nightclub that has a drag show, and his husband Alban, who is the star, otherwise known as Zaza. Zaza. Yeah, Zaza. It's very farcical. It's really fun. Basically, the story is about George and Alban. They have a son. His name is Jean-Michel. Jean-Michel is getting engaged, and his fiance is super-duper conservative. Think, like, a Ted Cruz kind of a dad. <laughs> and um, the in-laws, the new to be, soon-to-be in-laws, are going to come over for dinner, and Jean-Michel asks his parents to play straight for the mm-hmm. night. Tall order from this couple, especially Alban. Especially for Zaza. Zaza. She cannot be contained. Um, <laughs> so, it, get, it you know, everybody gets kind of bummed out. Zaza's really sad that they would, you know, the son would ask him to leave and it's a lot of drama with calling his birth mother and then she doesn't want to show and then there's all this funny farcical stuff. They've got a maid. She's in drag. She's like hilarious, constantly making jokes and stuff. Um, And yeah, it's very cute and sweet. It's a beautiful romance story about a couple that's been in love for a long time and about family. And it's really interesting because it's sort of about the beauty of this family that's not a conventional family sort of having to fight against these quote-unquote family values of um, a conservative politician. Um, but it's got absolutely beautiful music by Jerry Herman and um, really iconic story for a, being a show that opened on Broadway in 1983. Yeah, absolutely. Groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. So, Sarah, tell us a little bit about the creative team for the original Broadway show and then specifically also for the revival that we watched at Toft. Yeah. So like I said before, the original Broadway show was Music and Lyrics by Jerry Herman, book by Harvey Firestein. It opened at the Palace Theater in 1983, and it was directed by Arthur Lawrence, a frequent collaborator with Stephen Sondheim, and choreographed by Scott Salmon? Salmon. Scott Salmon. Does anyone know? Somebody tell us. Listeners? Salmon? Salmon? (laughs) Um, Set designed by David Mitchell, costumes by Theone Aldridge, lighting designed by Jules Fisher. Um, The original cast was Gene Barry as George and George Hearn as Albin. George Hearn is my favorite Sweeney Todd. Mm, Yeah. The 2004 revival that we watched um, was at the Marquee Theater. Jerry Zachs was the director Jerry Mitchell was the choreographer. Double Jerry's. Double Jerry's. Jerry, Jerry. William Ivy Long did the costumes. Donald Holder did the lighting. Scott Pask did the sets. 
Uh, and the cast in that production uh, was Gary Beach as Alban, and we saw him at Toft. Uh, Daniel Davis as George. We did not see Daniel Davis at Toft. We saw Robert Goulet. Robert Goulet. He was like in his early to mid-70s, I think, at that point. Yeah. Gavin Creel played Jean-Michel. Oh, little baby Gavin Creel. Little baby Gav. And uh, our special guest played Chantal T. T. Oliver Reed. Reed. Woo! Ow! So exciting. So stay tuned later in the app for that. Um, and then this show was revived again in 2010 at the Long Acre Theater, directed by Terry Johnson and choreographed by Lynn Page. Kelsey Grammer played Georges. Baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. <laughs> oh, my. I could see him. I think he's on the, um, they did a cast recording for that, and he's he's good. I like his voice. Yeah, and you know, he played George. Robert Goulet played George. Very similar vocal. Totally, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Um, and Douglas Hodge was Alban. Great. So yeah, a lot of productions of that show. I really loved the version we watched at Toft. It was so great. It was pretty great. Yeah. It's really interesting that that show has been revived so many times throughout the years. It is a perfect segue to our new segment on the show for the queer series. We thought it would be fun to look at the evolution of queer theater over the times um, since this show sort of being the first of the series in the 80s, early 80s, um, to our more recent shows. So, Kristen, tell us a little bit more about kind of like what was going on in the 80s and and some historical context for the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's see. Early 80s. I was like a year and a half old um, <laughs> when this show opened. Um, fully, you were fully aware of politics, watching the news. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, really I was into it. really into it already. <laughs> uh, but Ro Ronald Reagan is president. Mm -hmm. Um E.T. is the blockbuster hit film. Okay. Uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller is number one on the charts in 1983. Mm. Um, the Mario Brothers is first released in Japan. Whoa. GPS technology is first made available for non-military use. In the 80s? 83. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay, those people were fancy. Yeah. Um, we're almost two years into the AIDS epidemic at this point, and scientists just have discovered that AIDS is caused by HIV. Hmm. And the year before, in 82, Wisconsin becomes the first state to outlaw discrimination based on sexual orientation. But we're still very much in this conservative era of like extremely homophobic culture and policies. Mm -hmm. um, so when La Caja Full opened on Broadway in 83, as we were saying, it's the first hit musical to center a gay relationship, just totally groundbreaking in that regard. Mm -hmm. The big one-act finale song, I Am What I Am, is considered one of the great gay anthems and was Iconic. recorded. Yeah, was recorded by lots of people, but um, Gloria Gaynor, of course, had a big hit with that one. So when I was doing some research, I discovered that according to Jerry Herman's memoir, he was aware that with Harvey Firestein, who's like a known gay activist writing the book... And Arthur Lawrence, as the director, who's very political, um, that the show could have easily become like a diatribe on gay rights. Um, but Jerry Herman had had some disappointments with his darker-themed shows since 69, when MAME debuted. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted to score a mainstream hit. 
that like middle class audiences would enjoy. So apparently he encouraged the team to create a quote, charming, colorful, great looking musical comedy, an old fashioned piece of entertainment. Hmm. Um, And by delivering their sentiments in a sweetly entertaining manner, they, his words, um, they were able to convey their gay themed message with more impact than they could have with a more aggressive approach. Killing them with kindness and wholesome love. Exactly. Yeah. And this strategy really paid off because the show was a hit. Um, the original production won six Tony awards, including best musical, best score, best book. And it ran for more than four years. Wow. Um, other notable shows that were running on Broadway during that time were Cats, Sunday in the Park with George, My mm-hmm. One and Only, Big River, um, and the revivals were like Showboat, Porgy and Bess. Mm-hmm. Um, hit shows like Annie and Evita had both closed earlier in 83. Um, yeah, and so you just mentioned the revivals, um, revived in 2005 and uh, 2010. They won the Tony Award both times for Best Revival. And it's the first show ever to win twice for Best Revival after winning for Best Musical for the original production. Wow. That's really amazing. Yeah. Really. Like, it just shows you how strong the material is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this strategy that Jerry Herman was apparently, you know, kind of dictating about what direction they go with it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it'll be interesting to see how that strategy evolves over these next shows in the mm-hmm. queer series, because I think I would have agreed with Jerry Herman that that was the right strategy in 83. Yeah. And then just, you know, on a personal note, The Birdcage, the movie, oh, the, 19, the, Birdcage. Ugh, the 1996 film, of course, starring Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. It's based on La Cage um, and it's one of our family's favorite movies. We just, we grew up watching a movie over and over again, and we have so many of the lines and scene memor- memorized. <laughs> just <laughs> Hank Azaria as the maid. Is so good. I just, I know can't. it's a little problematic in hindsight to have sure. Hank Azaria playing a character who's not like, he's just a white guy, right? He's I like guess. Italian or something. Yeah. It's probably, it's problematic for him to be doing that. Like he kind of built his whole career off of voices and characters. <laughs> yeah. Accents that were now yeah. like, you're not allowed to do that anymore, Hank. But yeah, we appreciate but what you used to hilarious. do. Yeah. And in 96, it was, you know. But he is stealing the show in that movie. He it's really is. so good when he's like, <laughs> it's sweet and sour peasants too. <laughs> I forgot the shrimps. <laughs> yeah. One thing I like about the birdcage was Christine Baranski. And it's interesting in the musical, we don't meet the mother. She, right. she doesn't show. Mm-hmm, That's part mm-hmm. of the storyline is that um, they call her to ask her to come to dinner and pretend like she's been in jean Michel's life this whole time, which she hasn't. Um, but then she doesn't come. And she doesn't come in the movie, though, right? No, she tries to come and they, they make her leave. Right. They put a note on the, on the door. <laughs> but then, oh, but then the photographer... Um, guy steals it, right? The like, yeah, it's definitely even more farcical yeah. in the birdcage than the musical, where it's like <laughs> cross communication and silliness. And like, that movie is so funny, it's so so good. And this, I love the scene with Robin Williams and Nathan Lane when he, Robin Williams is trying to teach him how to walk straight <laughs> and best. how to eat toast, and they're. Nathan Lane just keeps screaming. <laughs> I pierced the toast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is one of the oh, best really scenes great. in film ever. 
Yeah. Pretty amazing. Archive Afternoon! Today we watched the 2004 Broadway revival of La Caja Folle. Uh, we watched... The performance we watched was from June 2005 mm-hmm. at the Marquee Theater, starring Robert Goulet as Georges. La doobie, what is that? Doobie, doobie, do. Do you remember when Will Ferrell would do him <laughs> on SNL? <laughs> I love it. Uh, Gary Beach as Alban, uh, Gavin Creel as Jean Michel, and Michael Benjamin Washington as Jacob. Uh, T. Oliver Reed plays Chantal. What a cast. T. Oliver Reed. Wow. I was not expecting to see him. And oh my God, the vocal range. Yeah. Vocal range. Wow. It's a great, great production. I, I really enjoyed it. it a lot. I, I thought it was too. so fun. It was beautiful and um, charming. And it, it felt like it had a really big full orchestra and all of the voices were great. Yeah. Um, should we dive into some of our highlights? Yeah. That what are we your highlights? Loved about the show? Mm-hmm. Well, I got to say, I was so excited when the credits were rolling at the very top and I saw T. Oliver Reed's name because I had no idea he was even in this show. Um, But he plays Chantal, who's like this crazy um, high note operatic singing drag queen. Coloratura soprano style. Yeah, and it was so cool because um, I got to mix a show of T. Oliver Reed's at 54 Below. Their solo show was like all about love songs. And um, their vocal range is nuts. They they just recently were playing Hermes on Broadway in Hadestown. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I really loved seeing them. That was exciting. Um, the pre-show announcement with Harvey Firestein I loved. And <laughs> the thing I thought was funniest about that was he said, silence your electronic devices and silence your children. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. As if there were many children in the audience at the Marquee Theater I that can't night, but there were too many. I don't think you, I don't think Grandma takes little Timmy to see Lacage. I don't know. It depends on whose grandma it That's is. That's true. She's a hip grandma, like our mom. If she ever becomes a grandma, she would take her grandkids to see Lacage. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I noticed in this show they do something really interesting. At the end of every big drag number that they do at La Caja Fall, they all pull their wigs off. Right. And it's like wig reveal. Right. To be like, ha ha, we're men. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting, um, especially because I had always been really confused by that when I saw Victor Victoria, which is another show we're going to talk about this series mm-hmm, a few shows mm-hmm. from now. Um yeah, where she, she does the same thing when she's pretending to be the drag queen. She pulls off her wig at the end to be like, right. I'm a man. Right. You know, it's just like, that's Julie Andrews' normal haircut. Yeah, so that must be <laughs> that must have been like a European-style yeah. drag reveal thing. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it might have been because um, it's like a thing now I'm seeing mm-hmm. multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like today drag queens don't really take their wigs off unless it's like a really dramatic moment at the end of like a... Really dramatic. Like, you know, if they're like lip syncing for their life. Well, notoriously, um, RuPaul hates it when drag queens take their wig off unless they have another wig underneath that wig. (laughs) You know what I mean? When they take off the wig and it's just the wig cap, no, Rue doesn't want to see she that. Did. Mama Rue doesn't like Mama that. Mama Rue doesn't like that. It's like when they take their shoes off, she's like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it's interesting that they that they did that. I also thought it was cool or just like I, amusing to me that the audience laugh reacted so much to that top drag number. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. like when the voices come in and they're all like, we yeah. are what we are. Yeah, the audience started cracking up. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, I guess... 
people find drag queens funny, like immediately that just causes people to laugh. Yeah, like just the concept of drag queens is funny to the majority of the audience. Right. I mean, they kind of set it up to be a laugh at yeah. the beginning. There's so much anticipation where right. it's just that little like do. Do, mm-hmm. do, do, and they're do. like silhouetted or like mm-hmm. kind of low lighting in those keyhole Yeah, lightings. the keyholes. Those were really cute. That was adorable. I loved that. Mm-hmm. The sets in general were really beautiful. And I loved how they all kind of swooped in and out. Like whenever yeah. they would swoop into the apartment, they would it would all like all the pieces would kind of slide out and fit together. It wasn't just like one big blob. I loved that. And it never felt like we were waiting very long for any transitions. Like the next scene Mm -hmm. just sort of seamlessly started to happen as they moved and rotated everything around. Yeah, they'd be like riding on a set piece while it's like flying around the scene. Like there was a part where Gary Beach sits down to sing his first big number and he like goes into the dressing room and that whole set piece was like spinning really fast while he was getting to sit down in front of the mirror. Yeah. I loved that. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was really cool. Um, oh my God, I really, really loved their, what I wrote, um, I called it Dick-cessories <laughs> in their house. Yeah. <laughs> when the sun's going around and pointing out like all the risque gay things they yeah. have, like this statue with a giant penis and then he just pulls the penis off and it's a lighter. Yeah. And then the other the big statue of the naked guy, like if you pull the dick up, the light comes on yeah. it's like a light switch i thought that was really funny. that was cute and i i was curious if that had been in the original production or if that was something they added in for the revival mm-hmm. so if you're listening and you know the answer to that if you saw if you happen to see the original lacage or you know like i'd be curious if those same dick jokes were in, <laughs> in the show but that was yeah. really funny because it was like cute how they didn't have to, it's more timeless i mm-hmm. feel like when it's just non-verbal mm-hmm. when the sun is just literally going around me like really dad like this, look at this, this thing this dick turns into a lighter we can't <laughs> we can't have this at the dinner party yeah yeah <laughs> that was so funny so what are some of your other highlights sarah um let's see you know i i was kind of thinking this isn't really a highlight it's just a thought that i had while i was watching it was that it would kind of be fun to see it revived again mm. even though they did it in 2005 and they did it in 2010 and like it's 2023 Mm -hmm. it seems like you know not that much time has passed but it's so relevant right now and I would just really love to see this with real drag queens wouldn't it be fun to see it with like actual real drag queens yeah although it would have to be real drag queens who can actually really dance who can really dance and sing like those high kicks I even just mean like Alban Sure. It would be really cool to see Zaza played by An a actual real drag, drag queen. Yes. Because yes. historically, uh, we didn't really look up the cast for the 2010 one, but for this production and the original production, it's like these sort of like, I'll just say straight men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some of them are straight, some of them are gay, but um, they are playing, like they're typically, like George Hearn, for example, mm-hmm. from the original is like a very um, serious, you know, he was Sweeney Todd. It's right, like, right. Uh, well, the the George character, I think, is traditionally very like stoic and he was Zaza. A, more of a oh, George Hearn was Zaza. Yes. Wow. George Hearn is Zaza. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he was George. No, George, not George. <laughs> also, probably got confusing. Yeah, Maybe they had different nicknames. Then. George, George, <laughs> George or George. I'm sorry. Were you asking for George? Or George. <laughs> Were you asking for Jerry or Jerry? Jerry? Jerry. George? <laughs> George? So who, what, like, who's your dream 
recasting then for a for a current revival for Zaza? You know, she's still too young, but like Shea Coulee, you know, someone I think who is like an actor also Mm -hmm. who could do or like Jinx or Jinx Jinx Monsoon. I mean, oops, all Jinx. We want (laughs) we always are going to cast Jinx Monsoon in any any drag related. Also a little too young, but perfect for the role, I think. The voice and the acting and like. Mm You know, or like, oh, uh, Varla Jean Merman. Ooh, I just did her show at 54 Below. She would be fucking amazing in this show. And she's even done musicals in drag when normally a cis person would be cast. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. we know she's got the musical theater chops. She's not just a cabaret queen. Um, My last highlight I would love to mention is how gorgeous the costumes were, especially the feather looks. Oh my gosh, um, so many for feathers. The number where Chantal is singing on the top of that giant sort of like Mother Ginger dress that, that all the queens come incredible. out of. And then that dress cage rolled around like a set piece. But how? That was wild. That was the coolest, like, kind of circusy, aerial. I loved that whole number. Me too. That was, that was really my favorite fun. part of the show. That yeah. was like my top highlight. I loved, like, I was like, oh my gosh, an actual birdcage, like an actual cage. And mm-hmm. it was originally her skirt. And then they all come out of it. And oh, it was so incredible. They were really just like whipping it around. Whipping and it. The one performer was like doing aerial acrobatics all inside of it and on top of it. And yeah. That was really super entertaining. It was very cool. The, the um, what are they called? Le Cajel, like the backup dancers, Cajels, yeah. all of the que- all of the queens in the show. They were incredible. Like they were so good. Can can dancing was <gasps> the can can. Amazing. I gotta add that to the highlights list for me. The can can was the so can-can good. Can number. Holy moly! Like so athletic, and they were that moment where they were like throwing each other over the pit yeah. and then landing in the splits. Insane. What? So much jumping into the splits. Yeah, and I loved all of the contagion. Like mm-hmm. I don't know if that's like a Jerry Mitchell thing, but like. There was so much contagion the whole show, and it just really made your eye like mm. go all over the stage and mm-hmm. like watch each individual, as opposed to like more of a rocket style choreography where you're like seeing a unit. This was more like look at everybody as they yeah. go down the line, which I really yeah, loved. Yeah, that was cool, especially because in this kind of thing, it's like they are a chorus of queens, but like they all have their own unique personalities that mm-hmm. they're bringing to it, you mm-hmm. know. And I think. If we're going to go back to like dream casting for another revival, maybe it would be nice to see a little more individuality in body type and style yes. and all of that in in the cast mm-hmm. of all those queens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were definitely going for that like fully Berger kind of yeah. vibe. Yeah. And I think part of like hearkening back to the the wig reveal thing, it's like the drag scene then was very much focused on like the female illusion right like passing right you know right and just the yeah the spectacle of that aspect of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what are some of your other highlights um i really loved the song on the sand mm-hmm. scene mm-hmm. i thought that was just really lovely and you know this this show is so groundbreaking in the fact that it featured a gay couple as the lead lead characters, you know, that had never happened before. This debuted in what, 83? 83, that's a long time ago. Yeah, and even in 2005, it was still really 
necessary to have this kind of representation. I mean, Mm -hmm. today it's still necessary, but um, part of the reason why we're doing this queer series, I think, is just highlight these shows. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just... And of course, I'm comparing that scene to the iconic scenes in The Birdcage, which I right. love so much. And like Nathan Lane's like um, just I just I just love him and Robin Williams so much in, yeah. in that movie. But I thought Robert Goulet and um, Gary Beach did a lovely job of showing us a window into this couple's romantic life and yeah. the way they interact. And I just love the song. Song on the Sand. I think it's so romantic and so beautiful. And Mm -hmm. I just loved the simplicity of it, you Mm -hmm. know? And I don't know. I just, it was very touching. And the uh, orchestrations for all of that part with the accordion and um, giving that French cafe kind of vibe. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then (laughs) I loved any of the scenes with Jacob. Jacob, however they said his yeah. name. The maid. The maid slash butler. Um, just hollering from behind the door or coming in and out, doing funny, you know, little funny takes um, mm-hmm. throughout the whole show. I thought that was Oh, my God. Whenever so they good. would throw the luggage, that was <laughs> killing me. I loved that. <laughs> it would just plop so loudly on the stage. Uh, yeah. That, that was, was great. That was so great. And just the pacing and the timing of all of the jokes I thought worked really well. It was making me laugh out loud a lot. Yeah. Well, the last show we loved the most from last season's uh, shows was also a Jerry Zachs show, Hello, Dolly. Yeah. Jerry Zachs we really Jerry knows Zachs. how to, he knows how to get the comedy. The comedy and the bits. The we love the bits. Yeah. Because these Jerry Herman shows are so funny. Mm-hmm. And so it was great. And this this book by Harvey Firestein is so funny. Yeah. And, um, of course, I was there was a few of the iconic things that I love about the birdcage that I was missing a, a little bit mm-hmm. from the musical but um, yeah it still was really making me laugh a lot yeah like the john wayne scene <laughs> the, when they're in jacqueline's on the patio or whatever and they're t- yeah. trying to talk about john wayne that just kept making me think about the birdcage so much yeah like that moment in the movie where he's like telling it robin williams character is telling him to walk like john wayne and yeah. so he's doing it and then he's like not good it's no good and he says no it was perfect i just never realized john wayne walked like that <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I love Uh, that scene. And so I love how in the musical, like the whole restaurant is singing along with this like silly song about climbing up the mountain, like John Wayne or whatever. It's adorable. It's pretty adorable. It's really, really cute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So those were highlights. Um, what did you have any low lights highlights? Oh yeah, we're doing highlights and low lights. I forgot to mention that earlier. (laughs) We're doing highlights and low lights this season. Let's see. Low lights, you know, Let's just say um, the soft shoe moment between Robert Goulet and Gary Beach was a little struggle bus. It was a little underwhelming. It was a little underwhelming. Um, I was actually shocked at how amazing I thought Robert Goulet was because I wasn't so sure how Mm -hmm. it was going to be. Of course, his voice is stunning and Mm -hmm. he's got Broadway credits from early in his career, but I just wasn't so sure. And I thought he brought a lot of really nice, like, tenderness to his role. I thought he was convincing as being in a loving gay relationship, but Mm -hmm. he didn't go over the top with any, like, stereotypical sort of, like, mannerisms or put on. It didn't seem put on. It felt very natural that he Mm -hmm. was just sort of like this, you know, very Robert Goulet kind of (laughs) guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, Um, like, (laughs) it was funny when, um, when the conservative politician guy is like, 
screaming at them like, homosexuals, <laughs> transvestites. And <laughs> Alvin is like, one transvestite. And then <laughs> I said one plain homosexual. <laughs> And I just thought that was cute, yeah. And it didn't, you're right, It like Robert Goulet's portrayal didn't seem like a stereotype. He yeah, just seemed authentic and sweet. But he was a little sweet. stiff. He was a little, mm-hmm. he looked old. But yeah. I happened to look up the wiki um, while we were watching the show because I was just curious like how old he was when he was doing that production. And uh, come to find out, he died like a year after the show wow. closed. So he was not doing so great mm-hmm. um, probably during the run of that. Yeah. Well, he did fairly well. Yeah. He exceeded my expectations anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was probably all for Lowlights. I think otherwise I really loved it. I thought it was a quite enjoyable show. Yeah. I mean, there were really very few things I didn't like about it either. Um, I think there were some moments where I didn't really know if the rest of the company was all that necessary. Like there mm. were some scenes mm-hmm. where I'm like, why are there so many people on stage i don't know any of these people like what are these people um <laughs> i don't know like at the end i was like wow this company is huge like where were all these people yeah and were they only in like one scene like what yeah so weird it's weird but i guess they need some people in the background at the restaurant at the end and they need mm-hmm. they need some townspeople walking around at the outdoor yeah, they want to make it feel populated you know sure sure i guess it can't just be like the lead characters and the drag queens, but still it was, yeah, I didn't really, they were the, the rest of the chorus just wasn't doing it for me. Like mm-hmm. there weren't any like numbers that featured any, I mean, I guess, I guess on um, the best of times is now we had a lot of big choral singing with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And we couldn't have probably done that if we didn't have a big, big cast. But. That's true. Um, but yeah, I loved everything else. I loved, um, I thought, like we said, the sets rolling around and all of that was really beautiful. The lighting mm-hmm. was cool with all of those like star backdrops. Yeah, and those were pretty. The, like chase lights kind of stuff <clears throat> mm-hmm. and um, those keyhole specials. Oh, and... yeah. I loved the Zaza sign and chase light yeah. thing that came out for her big first number. And the Zaza logo and even the logo of the sh- this revival really looks like Liza with a Z yeah. to me, yeah, which I does. love. But it was th- that same sort of color and font mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. said Zaza that would say Liza. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And all the costumes, like you were saying earlier, just incredible. Like Beautiful. so many feathers. So gorgeous. So many rhinestones. Yeah. Those those dresses that the drag queens were wearing that had like long fringe skirts. Yeah, those reminded me of Fosse. Yes, they were so cool. They were like white and gold with like long sparkly fringe mm-hmm. all the way Almost down. Almost like flapper yeah. kind of style mm-hmm. where the whole skirt is nothing but fringe. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Yeah, and I thought all of Zaza's costumes were really beautiful and appropriate. Yeah, oh, I loved her costume reveal also at the, at the for, top that, of the show. for that opening oh when she yeah. first comes out. And she then... like starts in that like black caftan looking thing and then yeah. it peels down to this gorgeous rhinestone like thing. Stoned. Yeah, that was really neat. Yeah. I liked amazing. it a lot. It was really pretty. And, you know, I think it was cute how a lot of the songs were repeated. There were so many reprises mm-hmm. of everything. And I... I guess, you know, if I really had to be super critical of the show, I think I was missing a song or two. Like, I wanted, mm. like, one more yeah. song. Um, but I like the 
repetitiveness too because yeah. it's kind of cool to see those same lyrics you know when it's first sung by the son Jean-Michel and he's saying you know with Anne on my arm mm-hmm. but then Georges sings it to Albin with you on my arm and then it's reprised again at the very end as like a big kind of finale moment type yeah. thing like that's that's sweet to see that same lyric kind of in the three different contexts yeah and it brings more um, nuance to all of those relationships I think yeah Okay, so our next segment is about uh, queer representation. And this is a fun one because this is going to be really interesting as we go through these shows. Um, We're watching them in their chronological order of when they were originally produced on Broadway, but we're only going to get into watching the original Broadways in a couple more shows because we're watching some alternate takes. (laughs) Right. Um, right. So let's see. What do we think about the queer representation of Lacage? Well, like I said before, I think it's just totally groundbreaking, you know, yeah, and got to hand it to the original creative team for going big with this show in 1983. Yeah. 83. I mean, that is so long ago. Yeah. 40 I mean, years ago. So long before like Will and Grace and yeah. Ellen and oh, like, yeah. all of those shows that are considered to be groundbreaking in their era. And that was like late 90s. I know. Right? Was this even before? I'm wondering if 83 was before after the first like gay character on TV show on a TV show which was Billy Crystal um in soap in soap yeah We'd it could have, have been similar timing but right. it i also feel like maybe it was before that yeah but as gay as broadway has always been because there've always been so many gay people mm-hmm. working and performing on broadway this was really the first show to feature lead characters who yeah. were a homosexual couple yeah and, and not just, just a homosexual couple, but like a very established married type of couple with a child. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, this this original content was the play of the same name. Um, yeah. And there's also a, fil- a French a, film. A French film. Yeah. So they <clears throat> adapted that original um, play. Well, film French people the... have been very gay. That's longer. true. Leave it to the French for, for being very gay much longer. <laughs> Is he gay or European? <laughs> you know, that's the question. Yeah. Um, um, and that that song, I Am What I Am, is so powerful mm-hmm. and became like a gay anthem in the yeah. 80s and 90s because totally. that was one of the first ever songs to just be like, take it or leave it. This is who mm-hmm. I am. I'm proud of who I am. I'm not, I don't need praise. I don't need pity. Mm-hmm. I love that phrase. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Like so, so strong and powerful. It really, it got me a little choked up. I don't, I was surprised I didn't cry today, but I think it was because it was so funny through most yeah. of it. But that was the the one moment that Same. I was really like starting to feel I wrote choked up. Um, Gary Beach was getting so emotional. Like there were tears in Zaza's eyes singing mm-hmm. that song. And it was, it was a little more like raw and like, it was just way more emotional than I've ever pictured that song being from hearing recordings of it. You know, it feels very like strong and like grounded and prideful, mm-hmm. but seeing it with that kind of emotional thing, it's like, yeah, you know, it's not, it wasn't easy to just stand up and say something like that then. It's still not, but right. especially back then, it's right. just like, right. wow, you know, really powerful. Yeah, and I was just thinking about how, you know, in 1983, we were still in the peak of the AIDS epidemic. Like just starting, really, yeah. just Yeah, the and beginning. so to be an audience member 
coming to see maybe your first Broadway show or whatever, you know, if you're in New York City and this is the show you see, like to be, if you were a queer person sitting in the audience that night to see that, you know, this this show deliver a song like that and just a, mm-hmm. a story like this, mm-hmm. I'm sure was just so validating and 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 powerful yeah. at that time. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting, you know, because I knew that song, I Am What I Am. I knew a, a bunch of the music from this show, but I wasn't really sure where those songs plugged into the plot. Same, yeah. I did not know the context for that song. Yeah, and so I thought it was really cool how Albin has just been told that he's not allowed at this dinner party because mm-hmm. he's too gay and he will just like totally blow their cover. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't even say anything. He's so mad. He just like walks away and goes to perform. And then that's the song that he performs yeah. was just, oh, it's, it's giving me goosebumps right now just thinking about yeah. it. And it was like, you could tell that his character was like, I have always been my authentic self. I have worked so hard to get to where I am. Mm-hmm. Like, I am not going to be stifled now. Like, I'm not going to be in the closet now. Yeah. And I, I, it made me think about how a lot of times in queer history and in the movement, it's often drag queens and trans women mm. and femmes who are, like, leading the way mm-hmm. and living authentically and just being you know, themselves and representing the community yeah. and act, you know, pe- being activists for the community just by being their authentic selves all the time. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a factor I didn't really think about, but that's so true. Like the movements have always been led by drag queens and trans women and femmes. And um, I'd say as far as queer representation, I think this show does very well. And for general representation, it could have been a little bit more diverse (laughs) but it is a pseudo period piece what time period are we in is it set in the 80s do you think it felt kind of modern it was they mentioned television okay so it's probably like it was set in current day yeah when it was written in 83 yeah i don't know when the play and french film were written but I think it's supposed to be set in whatever decades. Contemporary. Is. Yeah. yeah. So maybe and then the like, movie The Birdcage is like. Yeah. yeah. The ni- it's set in the 90s it's when it came out. current day. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I think the play was set in current day and maybe came out in like the 60s or 70s or something. I Interesting. Because it looked. It didn't look. It didn't look period really. Of no. any. It didn't look like a period piece. But it felt. Obviously not like. 2005. I thought it was so interesting that in this particular production that we watched, um, we had Gary Beach, um, Robert Goulet, Gavin Creel. Robert Goulet, a straight man playing a gay character. (laughs) Gavin Creel, a gay man playing a straight character. Kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So what do you what do you think about the casting and um, the queer representation like that? I think there's been a lot of talk lately about like casting and you know do you have to be gay to play a gay character um when is that important you know Mm -hmm. and when is it not yeah i think you know in in decades gone by when actors weren't openly gay i think it was a more complicated and touchy subject of like you know i and i think it was more common for quote unquote, straight 
people to play gay characters Mm -hmm. because hardly anybody was out. Right. And so everybody was trying to pretend they were straight, even if they weren't. And then today, I think, you know, I wouldn't say I have, uh, you know, strong feelings about no straight people should be allowed to play gay characters because there's so many more, you know, gay actors now Mm -hmm. who are actually out. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can understand if people were sort of like making an ultimatum or, you know, strict guidelines about that. I think about shows like Modern Family, where the gay couple in that show, Mm -hmm. you know, it's one actor who's gay and one who's straight in real life. But they're both doing, you know, a great job of pretending that they're this gay couple. Or like Eric McCormack, you know. Yeah. He played gay on Will and Grace for how many years? And very well. Right. He's not a gay man. So I'm not going to say there should be no straight people playing queer characters. But I think if it were, if Lacage were revived today... I would definitely want to see actual queer people yeah. in the lead roles. Yeah, um, I think that would be important, and I mm-hmm. think the show would get a lot of flack if they didn't cast yeah gay people in those roles. Yeah, and to your point of like, it should actually be a, a drag performer too in the role of Zaza. I think that would be really cool. And mm-hmm. the, I, it's, uh, since you bring that up, it makes me think about how um, I kind of was wishing there was more of that like drag makeup also. Mm, mm-hmm. um, like Zaza had lashes and she had lipstick and like blush and whatnot. Yeah. But she didn't really have like a beat. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's not necessarily something that's new. You know, if you think about watching like Paris is Burning or something, mm, the mm-hmm. queens back then, they had a beat. Like they were wearing some foundation and some like real drag looks. Maybe that's problematic for the timing of the show where Alban and Zaza are like back and forth like maybe you can't really do like a full drag makeup look but I just kind of wanted to see that on some of the queens maybe right right yeah and I I think you're right I think it was both a part of the fact that they had to do the really showy showgirl scenes and then also do like the street clothes scenes where he's just like hanging out as Alban and Zaza yeah Yeah. but I think it's also just that aesthetic of the like French European style where they're trying to quote-unquote pass as a woman instead of like actually look like a drag queen and today's aesthetic of drag I think is just like really over the top yeah good very draggy Mm -hmm. makeup Mm -hmm. but I think this is trying to be more like female showgirl yeah that female illusion illusion yeah 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 Mm -hmm. all right so any last thoughts before we do our segment how queer is it how queer (laughs) is it (laughs) (laughs) so we've been developing this scale of our Mm -hmm. queerness uh scale and we've we've landed on some some categories um yeah so just as a reminder uh our scale if it's if it's the most queer, it's queer as fuck. Yeah, the most queer is queer as fuck. And then it steps down hella gay. Mm-hmm. Love is love. That's like medium. Yeah, that's kind of neutral. Gay. It's like neutral. I'm an ally, right? <laughs> and then if it was just kind of gay, it's like fruity. Mm-hmm. And then if it's gay, but you couldn't even really tell, that's what we're calling Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Pete. Love you, Pete. You're kind of the straightest gay guy I've ever seen. Yeah. Of, ever. Yeah. Um, so on our queer scale, Sarah, what's your, uh, what do you give this production of Lacage? 
So Lakaj is definitely gayer than Pete Buttigieg or Fruity. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't decide if it was love is love gay or hella gay because <laughs> part of it is hella gay. The fact that there are real queer people in the show, the fact that it's centering queer characters. They're not just the side character. Mm-hmm. They're the two main characters. And then also like this huge ensemble mm-hmm. of presumably queer drag queens. Um but it starts with drag like right out the yeah, gate. Yeah, it starts with drag right out the gate. But also, um, Georges and Alban never kiss. Right. They are very um what's the word? Like sterilized mm-hmm. a bit. Mm-hmm. Um not that I want to see them like getting it on or anything, but <laughs> right. like they're it was just very like holding hands mm-hmm. was sort of the max we got out of them or like a light hug. Right. Um, so I don't think that's quite hella gay. So I'm going to say like uh, love is love 0.5. Because <laughs> <laughs> it really feels like a love is love story. You know, it's like, hey, this couple is a mother and father just like everybody else. You know, yeah. they're just a little different. Love is love. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I think that's that's the rating. And clearly this is, you know, being rated against other gay content. Yeah, this is a gay content scale. Notice notice there aren't any straight (laughs) things on the scale. It's all gay. Even Pete Buttigieg is gay. Pete Buttigieg, the least of the queerness scale. (laughs) Still very queer, you know, because they're all queer shows. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it's very um, wholesome. Wholesome. It's very palatable. Like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, you could bring grandma and little Timmy you could bring little Timmy they're probably not going to be super (laughs) offended or shocked by any of the yeah I don't think so I mean they have the two little dick jokes but they're fairly innocuous you know they're very like uh innocuous is that the word I'm trying to say Mm -hmm. um yeah they're they're pretty mild yeah yeah but it's it's um I feel like the movie the birdcage gets into some of the political stuff even more oh, yeah. than the musical did. Definitely. I the think m- the musical is very soft with it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was um, so farcical and funny how it all just sort of like ends. It's just I like- love it. It's like any other Jerry Herman musical. It's like, oh, then there's a restaurant scene and everybody gets really excited. And then we just <laughs> whoop, wrap it up, wrap it up, wrap it up. We only got two more scenes. I don't care what's going on here. Everybody wrap it up. <laughs> Yeah. It's a lot like Dolly. It's like they go to the restaurant, that's sort of the climax of the action, and then it's like, okay, yeah, tie this up, tie this up, tie that up, do one more number, goodbye. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did the senator guy really change? No, I don't think no, so. He really didn't. They blackmailed him into saying yes to his daughter marrying this kid. So that's kind of nice, I guess, but mm-hmm. I don't know if he changed his mind. No, he didn't. Probably not. I feel like the Gene Hackman character in the movie has a little bit more of a change of heart. They have- He's at least really feeling himself in drag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whereas this show, I say, I guess maybe this is a, a low light for me that um, it felt like the conservative in drag at the end of this show was a very much like look at that ugly man in a dress yeah. trope, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which we don't love. Don't love that. Don't love that. And I feel like in the movie, The Birdcage... Gene Hackman, first of all, they made him look a lot better yeah. as a queen than this version of Don, what's his name? Don Don? <laughs> Don Dan, but they- Don Dan. Alban calls, <laughs> calls him, him Ding, ding Dong. dong. <laughs> <laughs> I 
That was so good. <laughs> when he calls him Ding Dong. That was cute. Yeah, I think um, Don Dan did not look very good in drag and then has a hairy back and it's like this whole thing. And right. that part was not my favorite. No, no. Yeah. But the rest of the show, I loved. So glittery and fun. And yeah. Beautiful. And beautiful. And uh, I just, anytime I get to watch a Jerry Herman musical and listen to that gorgeous music is a good day. Full overture, full entre act, mm. and a really long play out after yeah. the bows. Just a lot of gorgeous score going mm-hmm. on with the full band, which is very nice. It seemed like a really big pit, too. It did. Yeah. And it was cute how the pit got to interact a little bit yeah. with the actors. Another loved- Jerry's X thing, I think, mm-hmm. maybe. Could Harkening be. back to the old school shows. Totally. And I love how much breaking of the fourth wall. It's mm-hmm. like you're at La Caja Full mm-hmm. as an audience member in the club instead of just yeah, you're right. as an audience member on Broadway. At the end of Act One, Zaza left through the aisle, yeah. which was cool after I Am What I Am. She was gone. She She's booked like, it out of the club, which I'm was really exciting. And then um, at the end of the show, all of the paparazzi come through the aisles onto the stage. So that, mm-hmm. was, that was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved that aspect of it. It was great. It was great. Definitely a good show. Yeah. Good show. Good show. joined by one of Broadway's most versatile stars. He's performed in 13 Broadway shows, including La Caja Full, Chicago, Kiss Me Kate, Follies, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Once on This Island, and most recently in Town, where he took over the role of Hermes after Andre de Shields. You may have seen him on TV in Sex in the City and Girls. He's on the grad acting program faculty at NYU Tisch, He's a recording artist, a trailblazer, and the co-founder of the Black Theater Coalition. Last December, he was featured as one of Out Magazine's Out 100. Please welcome to the Good Show Pod, T. T. Oliver Reed! Yay! Yay! Thank you for having me. Ah. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Uh, So the first question we're going to ask you today is, what are your pronouns and how do you identify? My pronouns are he, him. I identify as a homosexual male. Yes, we love yes. to see it. Love it. <laughs> I, I love to be it, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are also both queers, so. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Wait, and wait, so, you, but you're not twins. You're, you're sisters, but not twins. Right, Correct. right. We're six, six years apart. <sighs> nice. So just when you thought you had the house to yourself. <laughs> And comes and the baby. This one comes along. That's right. <laughs> My whole yeah. dynamic was ruined. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we have a little sister too. She was yeah. nine years later. Yeah. Uh, a oh, whole nother wow. surprise. <laughs> also, also queer or no? No. no. Well, oh, yeah, we she's don't on her own. So. She's Gen. <laughs> she's kind of Gen Z, you know. So we don't know about all of them. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> uh, so in the revival of La Caja Full that we watched at Toft. Mm-hmm. Um, you played Chantal, um, the one of the drag queens who sings yes. in a very high soprano voice. Amazing. 
you sang countertenor in the role of Mary Sunshine in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And in Hades, you covered both Hermes and Hades, yes. which is a really low singing part. So, yeah. And we recently learned you just went on one night as one of the fates. Incredible. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, you have an enormous vocal range. So just how high and how low can you sing? And have you always had this huge range? Uh, I'll enter in reverse. So I've always had the range. Uh, I'm not sure why. I, it, I think it has something to do. I think most baritones tend to have a fairly strong falsetto. And uh, I went to University of North Carolina School of the Arts. So uh, for a while, I sort of dabbled in the idea of being a counter tenor because I had that uh, that facility. But yeah, kind of, I say like lyric soprano range. So like up to like, you know, an A, B flat, as long as it's, you know, I used to be able to sing like a high C. And then one day the universe is like, nope. You don't need it anymore. You, you've done too much. So that 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 was taken away and never came back. But the rest of it was always kind of been there. Um, and the the actual vocal line for Hades is not as low as the the incredible Patrick Page sang it. So he mm. has that ridiculous bass. Uh, it's still it's still a you know a a good bass role, but but not. I didn't sing it as as low as Patrick because he he lives in this place the entire time. Which yeah. is, you know. Lovely, but don't want to kill the chords. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, I mean, fairly, fairly extended as far as uh, not not quite Mariah Carey range, but you know, close. I'll say. Yeah. Wow. So incredible. Really, just we had such a good time watching you as Chantal uh, in Lacage. Um, do you have any fun stories you'd like to share from your time in that production? <laughs> oh, let's see. Um, my favorite was like you know on on two show days because once once we got well first we, we were in rehearsals and I'm not sure if you know this but they made us shave our legs oh. so every every guy in the cast we were absolutely shaved legs many had waxed arms as well and mm-hmm. then there was one day that Jerry Jerry uh, Mitchell who was the choreographer came up to up to us and was like so I think you all should have your eyebrows waxed off and we were like you went too far. <laughs> They're coming for all your hair. Yeah. We're like, oh, my God. Because we're like, there, there are certain things that will be fine, like walking on the streets. Yeah. No one's going to notice. But but uh, 10 guys with no, um, with no eyebrows. No eyebrows. <laughs> not doing that. But like, like d- days on, like two show days, we'd go to dinner. And I would say, I, you, do you know those, uh, probably your, your parents had them somewhere in the house, those Yadro like porcelain oh, yeah. figures. Oh, 100%. I looked yes. I looked like the hobo figure because I would wear sunglasses <laughs> and all of this was like no makeup down, so scruff, but then big lashes and full eyebrow. Yes. Because it was like, it was too much work to try and like redo the makeup for two show days. So oh, we would sure. leave that theater just like this, the mask still on, but the rest of it just like, man. I love it. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a really fun little gender bender yeah. situation yeah. we got going on in Midtown. Oh, there were plenty. There were there were plenty of extra costumes that made it backstage so that when, when we were off for intermission or something, um, Brad Musgrove, who's one of who who was one of the Kajels, had this like bag of like dresses that he had made. So they would be backstage and Intermission was a fashion show just about every day. I love oh wow, it. that sounds yeah. amazing! Yeah, how fun! Yes, we had, we had some good times there. <laughs> <laughs> so when Lacage debuted in 1983, it was the <laughs> first Broadway show with leading uh, leading characters who are gay. Uh, really groundbreaking. 
And you've been working on Broadway consistently since 1996. Um, from your perspective, how has queer representation on Broadway evolved over the decades? And how do shows like Lacage make a positive impact on moving audiences towards more acceptance of the LGBTQ plus community? Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we, it's an industry that uh, is filled with queer people, but on the inside, but the the outward facing side tends to be much more sort of middle, has been much more middle American and what is palatable to them. Mm -hmm. uh, those, you know, uh, married families with a husband and a wife and 2.5 kids. And it, it feels like over the years, we've, we've, we've moved ourselves to a place where our experiences are much more, um, much, and I hate to use the word palatable for us, but we, because I, I, I don't like that word. And I don't like the word when people are like, I'm going to, um, I'm going to deal with you or something like that. It's like, no, I, I want us to be able to understand each other and, and accept each other on our terms. But it does feel like over the past, you know, 25 years, uh, that has changed a lot. And the stories that are being told are much more inclusive. I think a lot of that is, you know, we are much more accepting of ourselves. So we're much more willing to open up and tell our own stories. Yeah. So that has been great. But I also think the shows like Lacage, you know, for... Uh, the time period that it was written in and for the story that it's telling offers offers uh, a look into a family that many people had never seen or the idea that there would could be, you know, two gay men, two lesbian women who were in a loving relationship and 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 raising a child and what comes with that. So I think all of all of that has helped lead us to where we are now and the shows that we get to see, you know, whether it's a kinky boots or it's a some like it hot and all the characters and these lives that we now get to see on stage. I think it's all a part of the, uh, the, the ladder for us of getting to a place where it's not even about whether other people think our, our lives and our stories are acceptable. They are our lives and our stories. So we're going to mm. tell them. Yes. Yes. I love that. That's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Um, we are, <laughs> you're welcome. You're so amazing. <laughs> Super cute. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Like, yeah, it really is like. <laughs> I love it. That's the end of the soundbite. Yes. <laughs> Freeze frame. Yeah. First of all, we have to. It has to be a screenshot of the three of us all doing it at the yeah. same yes. time. Yes. Like, well, yeah. I'll be like, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's so cute. <laughs> So um, we are huge Jerry Herman fans. We love Jerry um, Herman. Do you have a Me favorite too. Jerry Herman song? Oh, there's so many. I mean, honestly, the one I think is, it, well, it's, it's the big gay anthem, but I am what I am. I feel like yeah. that that song really sort of, you know, one has withstood the test of time, but there's something about it that feels feels honest and authentic to me and I think to so many people. So that'll, that would be uh, one of my favorites. I have to say <laughs> Uh, other stories like, you know, uh, the shows we started with, uh, you know, Gary Beach and Daniel Davis. Daniel left us uh, abruptly. Mm. Mm -hmm. You got some tea there? Mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and then we got Robert Goulet, who, uh, you know, uh, was it um, Song of the Sand? Like he, he, he was his Goulet's voice was just so fantastic still at that point. Mm -hmm. But this man would make up a lyric <laughs> and you'd be like. You'd, you'd literally listen to him as like, that was so beautiful. That was not the right lyric. That was not what he's supposed to be singing. But again, like vocabulary was so strong over so many years of singing so many people's material. Mm -hmm. He would sing something and you would think it was the right thing even when you know it's like he just uh. made that up on stage. <laughs> wow. 
But yeah, yeah, like so, like that kind of thing. But so, T for Dan Daniel. So we were doing the show. Um, the relationship between Gary and Daniel was was pretty volatile from the very mm -hmm. beginning, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And we, after one Sunday matinee, we had all gone to like get a drink somewhere on Ninth Avenue, and in comes I'm I'm in comes one of our cast members. I'm not going to give you his name, but it may have been Michael Benjamin Washington. Who's like, <laughs> um something is going on and so we're uh -oh. all there and they literally after the matinee packed up daniel's room for him sent all of his stuff to him and told him he didn't need to come back to the theater Whoa. it was it, it was it was it was unfortunate all the way around but wow yeah it was yeah they were we had we had, we had some moments on that show there, there were definitely shows like you do and you're like you you learn from you learn from the amazing things that happen but you also learn from the things that like oh mm. yeah I'm gonna mm. try to, to avoid that. that. Yeah. You need to try to avoid that. <laughs> try to avoid that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Did, wow. It must have improved the morale then after after that. Uh, did, did everyone it, get it, along better with Robert, Robert Goulet? He was fantastic. Aww. Other than not knowing his lyrics, but he was fantastic. He, <laughs> he, he made it like, work. He, Sounds yeah, like he, he made he, it work. He <laughs> yes. Can we use profanity on your show? Of Absolutely. Okay. So his, I think it was his first night on. So he gets through almost the entire show. End of the show, he's making the big speech, curtain comes down, he's like, microphone still on, where the fuck am I supposed to go? <laughs> <laughs> We're all like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but no, he, he, he was fantastic. It was an amazing, it was an amazing cast, like, across the board, yeah. How quickly did that turnaround happen? Was um, was there an understudy or cover that went on for a few performances that week? Yeah, or, uh, yeah. yeah. And at that point, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on John's last name, but uh, Brian Bat and John Hilliard, I think is his last, was his last, last name, were the two covers. But this is also after like we had one night, we started the show, Daniel was still in, he coughed, and then coughed again and then said, ladies and gentlemen, I must stop the show. I have to let you know that 15 minutes before the show, I came down with viral laryngitis. So I'm not going to be able to go on. My understudy will go on. Thank you. Thank you. Understudy had had no rehearsals. We were still in previews. Oh, so my God. literally we're all like, we're all like this and curtain comes in. They start to like try and get some costumes for, for the understudy. Uh, uh. Jerry Zachs. Jerry Mitchell go on stage and, and start to answer questions from the audience so that they have a little thing to buy a little time. Wow. Good times. <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is, is mid-production. Like this, this is... is this is this is maybe 20 minutes into the first act. Oh my goodness. This is the first that first number I can't think that uh George and Alban sing uh Yeah, it's like it's it's early in the show and we're all we literally are all like what is going like, on? Is this oh really happening? Yes. Wow, that's in so yeah. intense. So they hadn't been rehearsed. They're not. I'm rehearsed. sure they're not in makeup or costume at all. No. They're oh, just no. kind of no. hanging out back there. Yeah. You know? So that that happened, and then and then ah. after 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 Daniel left the production, it was. I feel like it was fairly quick. I mean, it, I don't think it was a full two weeks before Goulet was in. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my wow. goodness. Yes. That's um, showbiz, baby. <laughs> that is showbiz. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's like another. There's a there's a cost again. It's like it's a moment, those moments in the shows. You're like, oh, I forgot to tell them that we weren't using that anymore. Yeah. Uh, we had we had a costume that one of the last one of the last scenes was going to be sort of set in the Far East, 
And so William Ivy Long, who is a costume designer, had designed these fantastic kimonos for all the Kajels. And there was a milliner who had made these, these headpieces. And when I say headpieces, they were, one of them was like a, a Japanese like rock garden wow. on a hat. Whoa. And like dra oh huge gosh. dragonflies and things. They were these fantastic, I mean, like some of the sculptures. most Yeah, like sort sculptures. of like almost like yeah. Bob Mackie kind of oh, yeah. big mm -hmm. some, pieces. Some yeah. of the most beautiful wow. things I think I've ever seen. Wow. And, and they made it on stage one day and it was like, yeah, they're cut. Oh, oh no. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah, but the, the ouch was then they they ripped the headpieces apart so they could use the skull caps that had been molded for people's heads. Oh, I mean, literally, no. I've I've, ne I've never seen costume people that poor milliner crying cry so like much crying backstage at like the the kind of the work that was done. It's oh, like nope, not doing goodness. it. Oh, they took them apart. That's yeah. painful. Ooh, yes, we... I I still think that William I Belong has all of those kimonos hidden somewhere because we never saw them again. <laughs> All right. They I want mine. Yeah. I want it. We're, we'll have to try to we'll track, track it down. that down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, thank you Come for sharing all of those stories uh, from absolutely. that production. Sounds like Amazing. there was a little bit of high drama happening at with, times. Oh, with gay men and drag queens? Shocking. Shocking. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my Theater gosh. people? So. Drama? Oh, oh okay. my goodness. Okay, one more. Okay, so okay. so one, of, one, of our, one, of our, one of our early like party nights out we're all out and we're we look over and we see two of the casuals kissing we said we told you not this you cannot bring that in the dressing room ah! <laughs> a couple weeks later they were no longer seeing each other and just oh. mad oh. we're like we told you we told you not to do it mm -hmm. you gotta keep a separation of work life and that's yeah. right they mm -hmm. say yeah. don't shit where yeah. you eat right, right. <laughs> and they and they mean that they, you should not yeah. <laughs> all right enough of my enough of my story no we, we love, love it we love stories we, we love could, story time we could listen to it all day <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in 2019, you co-founded the Black Theater Coalition. Um, the organization's mission is to remove the, quote, illusion of inclusion in the American theater by building a sustainable ethical roadmap that will increase employment opportunities for black theater professionals. The vision is to reshape the working ecosystem for those who have been marginalized by systemically racist and biased ideology. So can you tell us more about the Black Theater Coalition and what kinds of initiatives the organization is currently working on? Yeah. Um, and yes. So this started in, in 2019 around the murder of George Floyd and clearly the pandemic that shut us all down for a little while. Uh, mm -hmm. And our early thoughts were that we wanted to Put together some type of concert series that is still still in the works that would shine light on the black um, professionals that were working in theater. Uh, what we didn't want to do was sort of recycle the same people over and over, which has has tended to happen. So when there's one person who gets an opportunity, let's use them until we use them up. Yeah. We wanted to make sure that you know as we were building an organization, we were make we were shining that light and giving new giving giving new people opportunities, people who had worked regionally or off-Broadway, but never had that chance to work on the level or scale of Broadway. And of course, there was the pandemic and everything shut down, so it gave us time to really sort of redefine what we wanted to do and, and focus in on the idea of, because so many had not been given the opportunity, so many may not know how to make that jump from regional theater to Broadway or from off-Broadway to Broadway. So one of the things we wanted to do was to figure out how to implement fellowships and apprenticeships we leave the word internship out because internships are usually for uh, young people whose family have some influence or affluence and have connections for them. 
and they can afford to work in New York City for a metro card and a hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. Right. Most people can't do that. So we 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 sort of struck that word from our our thought our thought process. So we really are looking at these paid experiences. Um, our fellowships are anywhere from six to twelve months. The apprenticeships are shorter. When we when we first started, the apprenticeships really lived in a world of as as Broadway shows were reopening, we wanted to have apprentices on those shows, really learning uh, this sort of quick process as to what it looks like to get back. Uh, the revival of Company was the first show that jumped on. They, I mean, they jumped in with both feet. What can we do? How do we do this? Uh, and so many then for the fellowship, so many organizations that operate on Broadway, um, so many of the general management companies, as well as so many producers and shows who wanted to be a part of it, who said, yes, we, we realize that there's an issue, something that we should have fixed years ago, but this is the moment that we're in. Uh, so now we have uh, our Broadway fellowship. And again, they, they run the gamut of uh, general management fellows that are 24 months, company managers, um, directors, choreographers, all those creative areas, as well as marketing, PR, et cetera. Those are all 12 months. We have a, a regional fellowship with Broadway Across America, and that's a 14-week program that's from January through April, working in their regional offices across across America. That's this, <laughs> hence their name. Right. Uh, but so so that uh, young people have an opportunity to work in their offices and, and see what it's like to work in ticketing or work in marketing PR or work, uh, you know, in, in, in any number of areas in those in those offices. Wonderful. Well, yeah. obviously, it's work that needs to be done. And we are appreciative that folks like yourself are um, getting out there and leading the way for that effort. Thank so. you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah. Listeners, if you want to support the Black Theater Coalition, you can find them online at blacktheatercoalition.org slash support. That's theater with an R-E, blacktheatercoalition.org. Mm, right way. Org. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love that so much. That's the button each time. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, don't even have to say the word anymore. Just. Thanks. We know. We know. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, so as, as an acting professor at NYU Tisch and Columbia and other universities, you interact with a lot of young people who are hoping to make it in theater and entertainment. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you give them um, today for how to build a career in this industry? Because uh, <laughs> I want to know, too. Yeah. Well, I, I, I teach undergrad at Ryder University out in New Jersey, Go Bronx. We're in the middle where we just started rehearsals for Natasha Pierre and the Great uh, Great Comet of 1812. Ooh. All right. Uh, and then also at NYU in the grad acting program. And for me, it's it's always about like wanting to make sure that I can part whatever wisdom I've received over, you know, 20, almost 25 years in the industry to another generation. I feel like that's a part of all of our jobs. Like whatever we know that we can we can give to the next generation, that's what we should do. But I do think it's like it's fortitude. It's now it's like what does self-care look like and what what does it look like to to make decisions that feel good for you as opposed to, oh, I need to do everything. Mm -hmm. I need to go to every audition. I need to be in every moment. Some of that's great, but some of that is you gotta you have to figure out how to to as I was telling actually telling students this week, it's like how do you compartmentalize in a way that allows you to do all the things you need to do and not overstress, not wear yourself out, not not uh 
pull yourself out of the game before you, you're even really in the game. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so it's a lot of those conversations on top of the, uh, could you please learn your lines? <laughs> could you please learn that note in that song? Because you've been singing the wrong note for the past two weeks. Mm, we got to get that. Yeah. So those things are, are you know, a part of, the, are part of the struggle as well. And and these, like, you know, what do you do when you when you have COVID or a cold and you can't sing or you sprained mm -hmm. your your ankle for the third time in, in the same dance class? How What are you doing that's really... Uh, taking care of yourself and you know is that again you need more sleep or you need to drink water or what does that self-care look like for you or are you doing all the things you need to with physical therapy etc to take care of this this vessel that you're only getting one of right uh, Absolutely. You know, for, and I, I learned sometimes sometimes the hard way with with Lakage I was <laughs> okay so they thought that I had ruptured a vocal cord Ouch. so I was but I was like I was out for like that happened on a Sunday. I think I was back in the show on a Thursday. Like Ooh. went to the ENT. They shot me up with something, and I came back, and it was definitely weaker. But I also think you know I wasn't only singing the soprano line in the show. I would sing the soprano line as Chantal, but for everything else, I was singing baritones. I think wow, it was more the going back and forth that was mm -hmm. like my chords are like we're not doing any more of that. Thank <laughs> yeah. you very much. It's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it is like like how do you take care of yourself like when when you get an injury and and what that looks like for you? I mean, I it all it always goes back then to uh, I'll call it another great gay show, a chorus line, uh, and that what you know, what are you going to do when when you can't do this thing anymore, mm. or what are you going to do when you you injure yourself in a way that makes you feel like oh, I got to rethink this career, right? Yeah. Um, and and how do you, how do you keep pressing forward and knowing that it's like yeah, I can do this. I just have to now make sure that I'm maintaining this ankle, or I know that you know this this third rib on this side is always going to be problematic mm -hmm. for me. So what do I need to do in order to maintain that so that I can do the stuff I want to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the culture of Broadway and, and theater in general is is shifting slowly and, and focusing more on self-care and like self-preservation and that kind of attitude? Yes. I don't think it's as quickly as, as everyone said that it would be during the <laughs> pandemic when mm -hmm. everyone's like, oh, everyone was for self-care. Everyone was for let's look into HR and make sure that everyone is taken care of. And yeah, let's not do eight shows a week. <laughs> Right. Mm. Yeah. But they that, came right back mm. to it. Ten out of twelve. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think I think there is still conversation about it, and I hope we'll get to a point. And also, I think it's I think people are taking a little more agency for themselves and saying whether the producers or Equity or the league or whoever says we're switching the number of shows we're doing every week. I know that for my for my body, I'm doing eight this week. Next week, if something's filling off, I'm going to not do those eight. And luckily, you have great swings and covers who are in these shows who can who can step in for you. But I think more and more people are making those decisions uh, more honestly for themselves, as opposed to I'm kind of okay, so I'm going to hobble in. I think mm. more people are like, you know what, it's not worth it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit this one out. Yeah, yeah. And there's maybe less shame in just calling in your understudy for, sure. for a performance. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we called this podcast Good Show, and so we obviously have strong opinions about what makes a good show, but we want to know <laughs> your opinion. What what makes a good show, and then what are some of your favorite shows? Mm. I think, oh, what, I think it depends, I think it differs from, from show to show. Sometimes it's, it's a cast that feels so connected. Uh, I remember, like, there, other times it's like going in and that, that first moment of, like, hearing the orchestra, like, changes something in you. Mm -hmm. Um I'll say like there were there have been many many uh, revivals of Gypsy 
And there were some that people liked very little, but I have to tell you, there was one that like I went in and was, was not the favorite of many people. And I heard that trumpet at the top of that overture and it was like, yes. I'm about to get my life. I'm about to, I'm about to fully invest myself in this evening. So I, I think it, I think it depends on one, what your mindset is when you're going in that night, what you need. Like sometimes like you need, you need a good, happy show no matter what. And when you get one of those, it makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you need, you need to go in and have that, that release of a, a tear and you get that moment. And for me, sometimes that's, that's the thing. But I, I, I love when it feels like the cast is, is synced. Yeah. You know, you go to some of those shows, you're like, oh yeah, they're, they are enjoying this. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, like one of the shows, like we had, we had a fantastic time, uh, Lacage. I think we, we all still have torn hamstrings from it that <laughs> we're, we're still dealing with still. Jerry, um, Jerry Mitchell, yeah. what, oh, what were you doing in the I, cast yeah, there? I think, yeah, I think, I think someone said at one point we ended, we did each like 68 jump splits a week. Those jump because, splits. Oh my God. Yeah. 68 I mean, a week. Yeah. Ooh, wee. That, that yeah. hurts that my hamstrings hurt right now, just yeah. thinking about Listen, it. Listen, <laughs> it, it was a lot. There were there were several heels of, of boots that popped people in the forehead out in the, out in the house. <laughs> because we were saying, we're grown men wearing these boots that were made for uh, female identifying dancers. And so the heels, the heels were not necessarily as strong mm. as they needed to be. So we would jump over that passerelle and into a split, it will pop right off. Oh my, and it would wow. just go flinging out. Flying. into just the... go flying right the... <laughs> Yeah. So we had a couple of those, but um, like uh, Wedding Singer was another show for me that like the cast was, was so synced that it was just a great experience. Uh, some shows that I've seen recently, well, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll forever be in, in love with the Hades Town. Like so, that show yeah. is always we is are always too. fun. We Gorgeous. love Hades Town. It's a it's so a good, good show. Yeah. You can feel that collective camaraderie in the ensemble in that yeah. show for sure. Yeah. yeah, there's a magic that's being um, created there. Yeah, mm -hmm. thanks. Yeah, we yeah. we we had a good time with that. I'm trying to think what I saw. We saw some. Uh, yeah, I think it, it, it depends on the show. Like we saw Jaja's hair braiding. Oh, uh, yeah. last week, which like those those characters and especially the one um, supporting character who comes out as like four different women. Like it's like it's when you see something fun like that, that to me is like that brings joy. Yes. But also like some of the shows that always do like, you know, again, almost any of the Sondheim shows are like for me, it's like you just want to lean forward into mm. them. Um, but yeah, I like to see the things that are are giving new people opportunities again. It's like that for me is like exciting when you when you have something that's not a not a star vehicle but something that is a star turn for someone who we don't know as well like for me that's that's fantastic and that's a part of you know what 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 feels like it's great theater for me when when we're we're seeing something new happening as opposed to oh that person's great but we knew we were going to they we knew they were going to be great let's let's see someone new who is who is on the cusp of stardom or or something fantastic and and be able to enjoy that too Oh yeah, absolutely. It's always so exciting when yeah. when someone, especially like a legitimate theater actor, gets to have their moment like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Like the, okay, another different story, different show story. So yeah. Sutton Foster, uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. Yes. Mm -hmm. Every One night when she got, every night when she got to Thoroughly uh, to Gimme Gimme, all the ensemble we stopped what we were doing backstage. We felt like we were all willing her with the whatever she needed to get through the end of that song. Oh. So every night. We'd be talking, blah, 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 blah. Give me, give me that thing. Everything stopped. Wow. 
and we waited for her to finish before we did anything else. Just to give her the emotional support wow. from backstage. Give her whatever so support we could. Yeah, we did that every night. That's that gave me so chills. Cool. That's so me cool. Too. Yeah. That's really, really amazing. <laughs> yeah. What a fun show. Oh my God. Yeah. Probably also very yeah. exhausting, all the dance in that yeah. show. Oh, listen, could never remember the choreography on Tuesday night. <laughs> every Tuesday we'd come in and that uh, sudden would be at the end of Not For The Life Of Me and I'd be off stage, stage, downstage left and like, I don't remember the choreography. I don't, I don't know <laughs> oh, what we're no. going to do. I don't know what we're doing. And then I would throw myself on stage and was like, oh, it this is just, what we're doing. Oop, the muscle memory in there. kicked it's in. It's in there somehow. Every week. Wow. Oh my God, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Oh. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So um, we recently were enjoying your solo album, Do I Love You. Um, It's available anywhere there's streaming, also on CD. And I had the pleasure of being your mixing engineer at 54 Below for your cabaret show a few months back. That was all full of love songs. Um, Are you planning to record again? And do you have any other cabaret shows in the works? Like your Um, your cabaret show is stunning. It was absolutely beautiful all about love songs your voice is so amazing and, and these songs you picked had so much heart so, thank you so that arrangement of over the rainbow oh wow like, my god the over the wow. rainbow we're dying gorgeous thank gorgeous you. larry yerman larry yerman who was one of our pianists on thoroughly modern millie that's when i first met larry and then probably i guess 10 years ago when i started uh, dabbling in cabaret and it was the I gotta figure out someone who helped help me with an arrangement. It's like uh was 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 thanks was Larry Urban. <laughs> thanks, and so like we we worked together ever since then and we have some crazy shorthand when we're working on songs and arrangements and that's that's all Larry. Mm. Yeah it's it's fantastic. It, it's one it's one of my favorite songs but that arrangement like blows me away. Yeah, yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I'm so glad that we have that on a recording of you singing that song because <clears throat> obviously that song is so important to the queer community, mm-hmm. has been forever, and um, your arrangement of it just, it's got so much soul, and I love when you go up into that belt. It, it's amazing. Uh, thank you. Uh, but yeah, and so there, there will be, and we'll, we'll go back to some more ca- uh, cabaret shows uh, with with Hades Town and, and school and everything. Uh, it's just taking a moment. I think... It's also I'm approaching apparently my my 25th year in the on the Broadway, so I'm thinking I'm going to do something that. Here's the thing: I used to have this idea of like I was going to do a show like I'm going to do songs from all the shows that I never booked. <gasps> Ooh, and so just like all of those, but so there there will be something coming up. I just haven't figured out exactly the the end into all the music yet. Well, you're very excited. Busy, busy person doing all the things. So I'm sure it takes a while to squeeze all that in. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a moment. It takes a moment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Um, Where can the Good Show listeners find you on stage and online? Online, I think Facebook, Instagram, uh, and X, all (laughs) all at T. Oliver Reed. Um, I'm trying to think where else. I mean, you've talked about where they can listen to me, this this CD. And we'll see. Uh, we have some things in the work as far as getting back on stage. So hopefully sometime this spring, it'll you'll see my, my name and my face in some places. Okay. We're excited. Yeah. We'll be there. We are huge fans. T. Oliver Reed. Uh, thank you. Yes. And uh, <laughs> any other thoughts? You got over there, Kristen? Um, I'm just, you know, really grateful for people like you who are... Um, 
you know, not only educating the next generation, but also, you know, giving back to the community and supporting in ways like with through the Black Theater Coalition and things like that. So, so just thanks for all the work you do. You know, you're not just an amazing, versatile performer, but you're also helping to build for the next generation. So we we salute you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Good show listeners. For the Queer series, we're highlighting the work of a very special nonprofit organization, Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Since its founding in 1988, BCEFA has raised over $300 million for critically needed services for people with AIDS, HIV, and other illnesses. You may have seen the actors passing the donation buckets at the end of a national tour production or at a Broadway show. Right, and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS produces several big events like the Broadway Flea, Broadway Bears, and Broadway Barks with my girl Bernie P, just to name a few. The money they raise goes towards funding grants to over 450 AIDS and family service organizations across all 50 states, Puerto Rico, and Washington, D.C. To learn more about how you can support Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS by volunteering, making a donation, or attending one of their upcoming events, please visit broadwaycares.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Queer Series. Thanks for following, liking, and leaving a review on your streaming app. Good Show is a part of the Broadway Podcast Network. You can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Good Show Podcast. That's where we post the archival photos and cool stuff we find in the research collection at the Performing Arts Library. It's also where we post info about our upcoming live shows and so much more. Thanks, everybody. Hey, Kristen. Good show. Hey, Sarah. Good show. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.